Ladies and gentlemen, men and women, children of all ages, you're about to experience the opportunity to get in on the conversation. So do me a favor, join the conversation as you're about to step into the world of conversations about dot, dot, dot. I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thank you for coming back to another fun-filled episode of Conversations About Dot, 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 uh, where I get to sometimes talk to you about different geeky things and things like that on my own, and then other times I have a co-host, and in this particular case, I get to interview a very interesting guest. Uh, I have the honor and the privilege of interviewing Mr. Yale Stewart. Uh, Yale Stewart is a an awesome artist. I've loved his stuff. I've been reading his webcomic JL8 for a while and different things like that and seeing the art and different things he does. So I asked him if he wouldn't mind being interviewed. He said, sure. So here he is. So Mr. Stewart, would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what I can add. You did a pretty good job of introducing myself for me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm Yale Stewart. I'm a cartoonist, tailing from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, 32 years old, went to college at Savannah College of Art and Design down in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. I draw Fantastic. pictures of things for a living. <laughs> but there's not really much else to it, honestly. I know for an artist myself, that's kind of the dream, you know, is to find a way to do it where you can uh, get paid to do your art on a regular basis and, and things. But I know it's not an easy thing to do. And so I, I've, like I said, I've been a fan of your art for a while. Uh, so tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up. Did you grow up in St. Louis? I mean, oh, yeah. Did... yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised south side. Um, yeah, uh, born here in St. Louis. My earliest memory, because I imagine you're going to want some like history on the art thing. I mean, mm-hmm. lit- literally, as far back as I can remember, I was at least relatively interested in the visual arts, um, you know, like finger painting, crayons, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until probably, uh, I guess it probably would have been about first grade, first or second mm-hmm. grade. Definitely, excuse me, definitely first grade. First grade, I uh, I changed schools and I met a kid named Sean and he was the youngest of three brothers. And mm-hmm. both of his older brothers were interested in comics. So he used to bring all these, you know, like, like they, they had subscriptions, which- Oh, wow. Oh yeah, they were, they were living high on the hog with that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like he, he was bringing that stuff to school because at the time, I'd been familiar with what we would call comic book properties. You know, Batman the Animated Series had started around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, X-Men, the cartoon, was on around that time. My dad just introduced me to vintage cartoon, you know, like the Fleischer Superman stuff. But I'd never really read any comics up until that point. And, you know, that was the first time that I saw it. And I was like, oh, like the are drawn you know because like animation that, especially when you're like seven years old that's a whole other mm-hmm. bag of tricks like you don't understand how that's working but i would look at these comics and i was like oh look these are just like really really good drawings you know like somebody had i assume somebody has to draw these mm-hmm. so pretty much from that moment 
to varying degrees of sincerity, that was pretty much what I was aiming for from from that point on was to get good enough to be able to draw comics for a living. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, even at that point, I started pretty early, you know, making my own comics and stuff like that. Probably not as much as Jeff Smith or Alex Ross. I, I only point those two guys out because they have, like, a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. still on hand. And, you know, it always shows up in, like, you know, Marvelocity or Mythology or whatever. Right. And, like, Alex Ross must have been making comics, like, all day, every day. Same, yeah. with, same with Jeff. I, I, I probably made, like, a handful Tops. Mm-hmm. I know some of them were more like illustrated books. Like I had to write like a fictional story for an assignment in like mm-hmm. second or third grade, and I would I would draw illustrations to accompany, but it wasn't like a panel to panel thing. Right. Um, it was more like yeah, I got you. Yeah, but you know, doing that, it did confirm my suspicion that I enjoyed actually making comics because there's a difference between wanting to do comics and wanting to do illustration right Mm -hmm. like a lot of people just like drawing cool images that's illustration comics is drawing a whole bunch of cool images that tell a story in sequence Um, right and you know that's kind of where you sort of separate the I I don't use any kind of like mean terms but you know like there's definitely a clear break there where mm-hmm. some people decide, you know what? I don't want to do all that work. I just want to draw one-off illustrations and that'd be fun. Or you have other people that are like, no, give me, give me the sequential stuff. Okay. So yeah, uh, I mean, from there on, it was pretty much just, you know, going to school and eventually learning about SCAD, you know, as, as an art school. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll apply there went there and met a bunch of guys and girls who pushed me to make myself even better and Mm -hmm. the rest is pretty much history really you know came out of SCAD about a year later drew the first JL8 strip and from then here we are Okay, and that's pretty cool and awesome. I know you were mentioning the whole thing about Alex Ross. First of all, he's one of my heroes artistically. I love his stuff. Um, just, you know, and even his history about, you know, him going from kind of more of a visual design, graphic design background, working with an ad agency. Yeah. You know, really doing stuff like that and doing more of the illustrations as you were talking about earlier to eventually going to the place of being able to do something like A Kingdom Come where he had to do a painted sequential stuff. <laughs> Which, Which you know, I could, like, you know, did he do a Terminator? Did he do a Terminator book for now comics back before he got really big? I think that may have just been covers. I don't know if he actually uh, did the interiors on that. Okay. But like, he did Kingdom Come when he was like twenty-eight. That's crazy. Which is even crazier because Marvels came before that, so he's even younger mm-hmm. doing Marvels. Like, I I just learned that maybe a couple of years ago, because mm-hmm. you just assume like, oh, he's like forty. But yeah, the fact that he was able to do that at twenty eight is mind blowing. That that just that just yeah, I, I yeah. don't even know how to wrap my head around that. And I mean, and I, his, I, I've, yeah. I've never met him. I don't I don't know him personally, but like. He seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy. Like, for yeah. all the 
the accolades and stuff that he receives and I mean I've seen the prices his originals command all the money that he's got to have mm-hmm. he seems like a fairly normal just like I like I like superheroes I just yeah. like to sit around and draw superheroes and talk about superheroes and whatever he doesn't seem mm-hmm. to have much any kind of you know ego to him or anything like that which is obviously couple all that with how young he was when he was achieving that success I mean it, it's all uh-huh. very commendable that he's able to retain that like even keeledness yeah Alex Ross is definitely a league on his own I remember reading I think Wizard Comics back you remember Wizard Comics back in the day when oh, he used yeah. to do the old, yeah. uh and Wizard did a big uh, book on him and one of the things they showed was they were talking about the fact that he hated drawing certain X-Men but then of course Marvel would come to him and say well you're gonna do the X-Men he's just like oh okay and he would just bite the bullet and do it. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it's comics, man. Like, you don't get to pick yeah. and choose. You got to draw what the script tells you to. Yep, you got to draw what the script tells you to, and you also got to draw what the people paying you are telling you to draw. So, so uh, now I've heard lots of great things about SCAD. Um, I've considered it. I do a lot more... Illust- I did a lot more illustrations up until last year. I decided to do my own comic book. I published it through Amazon. And so, um, but that's something that's there for that. And I can understand what you mean by the difference between illustration and, you know, it, like I, I, the way I think about it is, you know, you talk about like an art germ cover. You know, art germ covers are beautiful. They're fantastic. But as far as I know, he doesn't do full sequential art. Oh, no. I mean, you know, Adam but, Hughes does it on occasion, but even that's yeah. like few and far between. He's pretty much mm-hmm. just a cover guy at this point. Same with like Dave Johnson. You know, Adam Hughes, I remember reading some of his Fantastic Four stuff and just loving kind of the bounce to it. So it's really cool. Oh, yeah, but... no, like, it, it's actually kind of a bummer because, like, Adam, the stuff I have seen of his interiors, they're, they're pretty good. Like, mm-hmm. and not, not just from a, like, oh, they're pretty, but, like, he, he does have an eye for sequential storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to, I mean, you know, and I mean, that, that's kind of just me you know like i yeah, love illustrations really cool but mm-hmm. like let me see you tell a story because that, that's what i okay so you mentioned about being a fan of uh adam hughes and different things as far as sequentials what other artists inspired you growing up as far as doing you know kind of making the moves in illustration and your sequential stuff Oh man, I mean, I I will pare it down, but I mean, the honest answer is like everything you see, it you end up absorbing some of it, right? Uh-huh. Um, but the 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 big standout stuff, I mean, you know, probably the biggest one would be Bruce Tim, just because the animated series was so influential on mm-hmm. growing up you know i was watching that like every day and and then some because i had an aunt who would like take them for me on vhs like oh I, that's I just, awesome i just ate that stuff up uh bruce tim john ramita jr was a big one um because i was a big spider-man guy growing up and his run on both peter parker spider-man and then amazing spider-man uh were, were really significant to me and I'm, i, I mm-hmm. still i still think that they're great uh, right David Mazza Kelly, Darwin Cook, Charles Schultz, Bill Watterson. Oh, Darwin Cook. I love Darwin Cook's artwork. Yeah, Darwin was great. Um, Akira Toriyama of Dragon Ball. 
he's a big mm-hmm. one because you know back when i was in like middle school and high school all that stuff was kind of like taken off over here for the mm-hmm. first time and that was that was a really big deal um katsuhiro otomo from akira i mean honestly it's almost like who who Yola is a big one mm-hmm. jeff smith is a big one um, from Bone and, and, and stuff like that, man. Bone yeah. was not only great sequentially, I loved the story that they were telling in that. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, Bone, Bone is a is a through and through masterpiece. Um, Craig Thompson, a blind gets. Uh, more recently, artists like Kate Beaton. Um, she's a big one. Uh, my good buddy, Trad Moore. He's a big okay. influence on me just because, I mean, obviously his stuff is great, but also just being in close proximity, you kind of can't help but be bouncing stuff off each other and whatnot. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just so Tim Sale. It, like, it, it, the list kind of just like goes on and on forever. Uh, Edmund Kiraz, the French illustrator. All, all kinds of stuff, man. Like we could literally spend the next like three hours of, like, <laughs> listing names because they'd all just come to me progressively, and I'd be like, "Oh man, I forgot that guy. Oh, I forgot that that lady. Oh, I forgot this person, that person." So, but I, I forgot to mention Todd McFarland. What the heck? Honestly, <laughs> you know, like, like Todd's Todd stuff is great. But growing up, as much as I liked Spawn, and I did like Spawn a lot growing up, I was always more of a Capullo guy. Like okay. it's it's kind of more as I've gotten older that I appreciate Todd's stuff because because you know I think Todd would be the first person to acknowledge this like his people aren't really that pretty right you know like they all kind of have this sort of weirdness to them and when I was looking at that stuff as like an eight nine year old or whatever especially because at that point you know I kind of came to Todd's stuff a little late. And by the mm-hmm. time I was looking at Todd's stuff, guys like Joe Mad were showing up on the scene. Oh, so like I'm yeah. And I'm, looking, I'm over here looking at Joe Mad, and I look over at Todd, and I'm like, well, I'm going to look at the girls that look good. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, and then, again, not not to rag on Todd, but even when it comes to the Spider-Man stuff, I, I tended to gravitate more towards Larson, towards Eric Larson's. Spider-Man yeah. stuff than, than Todd's but like I said I mean the older I've gotten the more I look back at it and the more I the more I appreciate it but yeah it was it was kind of like whoever followed Todd tended to be who I liked better because like I gotcha. said Capullo or Eric Larson mm-hmm. but but there's definitely a lot that Todd brought to the table that I really appreciate as I get older mm-hmm and, uh, you know, you mentioned Joe Mad. I just recently picked up the big trade of Battle Chasers uh, because I remember not being able to finish that story. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to find the trade so I could actually finish the full story. And, of course, they really didn't finish it. <laughs> like, I found out, like, he kind of ended it on a cliffhanger and then, like, he did a supplemental story later. And, of course, now there's the video game, apparently, that's out, you know, based on the property and everything. But I don't oh, know yeah, if that answers right. any more yeah. questions or anything. But... Yeah. So uh, uh, you talked about some people that inspired you artistically. What are some things you geek out about? You know, is there a particular movie or that you geek out about or particular? I know you mentioned the comic side, but are there other forms of media that you geek out about? Oh, everything. Everything. 
like, I mean, I, I love comics, but yeah, I love movies, I love music, I even kind of like dabble in theater and stuff. Oh, like, okay. And I'm, I'm very novice level on that. Like, I, I don't really go see a lot of plays, but it's something I'm becoming a little bit more interested in as I get older. Um, cool. Sports is a big one. Video games is a big one. I mean, I just, I like to like stuff. You know? Okay, nothing wrong with that. Like, and, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I can, I can still be picky. You know, I'm, I'm not just absorbing everything with, with no filter. Right. It feels good to like stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, why would you want to live a life where you don't like things as, like, your default? Food right. is another one, which sometimes I, yeah, <laughs> I need to be careful about. <laughs> but, um, Fair enough. Yeah, just everything, man. Like, it, it's all just, there, there's too much good stuff out there everywhere in any right. in any medium like if it's a thing that exists there's probably some at least niche part of it that i could latch on to and be like really into okay so right. but but yeah like, the, the big big one like of all that stuff probably the the top of the mountain would be yeah movies and music um and with with movies, I'm kind of counting like film and television. With that, okay, uh, yeah. The so basically like audio, video would be probably the the top. Um, okay. And the only reason video games isn't up there much anymore is just because I, I don't really have the time anymore right. for them. Like, because I'm a 100 percent guy, you know. Like if I'm gonna play a game like Grand Theft Auto or Mario or even most recently the the Spider Man game on PS4. Right, like I've got to do everything in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm just that kind of gamer. And you're a completist. Yeah, and then, you know, there's nothing wrong with not being that way. You know, because I know that sometimes I can come off as like kind of snobby or whatever. But like, just for me personally, I need to know that I like wrung every last drop of that game out mm-hmm. before I'm able to to put it aside. And games are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger now. So, you know, back in the day, I could 100% buy City in maybe like a week. Uh-huh. I don't think that there is 100% in GTA V. Like, <laughs> I've, like I've, never yeah. even, I've never even touched that game because I'm like afraid that it'll suck me in, you know, dominate my life or whatever. But, but yeah, and you know, th- that's even kind of happening with movies now. Like, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I was craving three, three and a half hour long movies. Now that I'm an adult, it's like, man, can we please get back to like the 90 minute runtime? Like, <laughs> like, it's just too much of a time commitment right up yeah. front, you know? But I, yeah, it reminds me of when uh, Avengers Endgame was announced and they were saying it's going to be three hours, 20 minutes, I think. And so I was talking to people about it, and they were just like, are you going to sit in a movie theater for three hours and 20 minutes? I was like, well, yeah, if I have to. You well, know, I and that's the thing. Like, I, I don't mind doing that in the actual theater, but it's really hard to do that at home. Okay. Like, like I still haven't watched The Irishman, because when you're at home, you have every distraction in the world to say, like, ah, oh, you know what? I kind of want to go read that book I was working on. Ah, uh, you know what? Mm-hmm. Let me watch that an episode of that show I've got going. Ah, uh, you know what? I've got all those albums I meant to listen to. Like <laughs> there, there's just a bunch of other stuff kind of vying for your time. 
Right. But yeah, like when I when I went and saw Infinity War and Endgame, like you're in it, right? Yeah. You know, like everything's dark, the doors are shut, you're just in it. And 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 I, I love it that way. Um, but yeah, like I could probably no problem go watch Seven Samurai in theater. I mm-hmm. don't know the next time I will sit down to watch my copy of Seven Samurai here at the house. Gotcha. You know, it, it, there's just like something kind of weird and difficult about the the super long runtime when yeah. you when you have access to all and God, even just your phone. You know, because like I don't turn my phone off when I watch a movie at, at my apartment. So like I'm pulling it out, and looking at Instagram or whatever, and then I get mad at myself because I'm like, no, you're not watching the movie. Like you gotta watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, I can see how uh, that can definitely get entertaining. It get the entertainment, the, the commitment to entertainment is a can be a little bit more difficult now. I mean, especially when you've got so many different things vying for your attention. Just on the front of television, I mean, you got Disney Plus, you got DC streaming service, you got Netflix, you got Hulu, you got all these different things that are out there. And so, some of the shows that you like may not be on Hulu, but they may be available on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out what to watch. You know, so that can definitely be something that 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 feeds into that as well. It's not just you know sitting down for three hours to watch The Irishman, but it's there's so much other stuff on that I could watch in a shorter time frame. Exactly. So, yeah, I can see how that would play out to that. Uh, so we're gonna take a break real quick on this. So we're gonna come back and we're gonna be talking to Mr. Stewart about JL8, uh, the project that I introduced at the very beginning of the podcast. So. Thank you so much for rocking with us so far on this. And after these messages, we'll be right back. And we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for coming back to Conversations About Dot, Dot, Dot. I'm continuing my conversation with Yale Stewart. Uh, We've talked about some loves of comics and different things like that. We've talked about the interesting dilemma to sit down at home and watch movies as opposed to going to theaters. (laughs) And so now we're going to talk about uh, his web comic that he's been doing for a while called uh, JL8. Uh, and Will, I want him to talk about that, kind of talk about the inspiration behind it, what drew him to being able to think about the idea of taking the Justice League and turning them into children <laughs> and uh, kind of caring all about that and everything like that. So I will open the floor back to you and let you talk about your webcomic. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I really wish it was a cooler origin story than it is. Uh, the reality is, I was back home in St. Louis. I had just moved home from Savannah. Um, and I was working on a different project. But Savannah, you really don't need a car. It's a very walkable okay. city. So I had, I, gotcha. had got, I had gotten rid of my car, you know, maybe a couple of years ago. And uh, the thing I was working on here in St. Louis, I just, I, I needed reference and stuff. So mm-hmm. basically, like, like I needed a car to do what I needed to do. Right. So I was like, well, I don't know when I'm going to get a car, but I don't want to sit here on my thumbs doing nothing. So, you know, let me like open myself up to ideas. You know, like, let's just see if anything strikes me. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working at my dad's warehouse one day conveyor belt job very very kind of mindless so you know your, mm-hmm. your your mind wanders 
and something just kind of like popped in there the idea of kind of like a superboy concept played almost purely for comedy you know mm-hmm. like the idea that clark would almost be kind of like a puppy you know like when puppies have the big paws and they don't know how to quite walk right and they don't fully understand their body yet kind of a thing they're right. like and stuff over but like they're trying to have fun they're not trying to be destructive they just mm-hmm. don't know any better mm-hmm. and then it was like oh like what about the idea of clark as a young boy like pushing other kids on the playground on the swing but you know like accidentally launching them up <laughs> into like a lower atmosphere mm-hmm. or, or whatever and i was like oh like there might there might kind of be something to that. that that's kind of funny and it was just it's kind of one of those ideas like once you have it the the floodgates kind of open and i started having all these other ideas either for clark or like oh like what would batman be like wonder woman be like x y you know yada 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 and eventually it was like oh like what if they were you know normally they're the justice league but like what if they were a class of students you know basically okay. like a superhero elementary school mm-hmm. or whatever and i was like oh you know, like there's, there's kind of something to that so i came home that evening or whatever and i kind of i can't remember if i already had the idea for the first strip in mind by the time I got home or if I came to it while working on character designs or mm-hmm. something but but kind of going back to what I was saying I was like oh like this could be something to kind of like keep the muscles strong while I wait to get this car and return to this other project right so like let me work on this thing and yeah I, I did the first one and originally it was just meant to be something that I was going to show around to my buddies, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of like an in-joke thing. And, uh, I did the first one and I got a really good response from all my friends. And, you know, I was kind of just like over, the cup was like overflowing with story ideas. So I did the next like four or five strips, posted those online or something. And again, got a pretty good response. And at that point, I had some friends who were basically like, why don't you just post this publicly? You know, post it like on Tumblr or DeviantArt or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, show it to the world, essentially. And to be frank, or initially I pushed back on that because, you know, I wasn't really sure if that was kosher kind of a thing. You know, right, like they, right. are, they are comics and I am definitely using these characters like it did feel transformative enough to where I probably wouldn't get in trouble for it and I was like you know Trad was actually the one who kind of like wore me down on it and I was like alright you know like I'll post the ones I have I'll you know post new ones if I come up with any whatever you know I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it'll last all of like a couple months and I'll be done with it so it was i want to say that november of 2012 that i posted the first one i think i was posting once a week maybe twice a week i can't recall also they were black and white at the time I, i i hadn't even colored them um but i think by the fourth one somebody can somebody convinced me to go in and color them so i colored them and you know it was this thing where like i was starting to get followers and mm-hmm. you know i mean we're talking like 10 
20. Yeah, you know, no, nothing in the grand scheme of things significant, but for someone who's right. never done this before, I mean, I knew I had some talent and everything, but I'd never ventured into like the online territory, at least not for something of my own. You know, I, I had a DeviantArt like everybody else and I did okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like every week it would go up by like 10 or 15 followers. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I need to like keep making them or else people are going to get bummed. Right. And it was literally on my birthday of. Oh, no, excuse me, excuse me. All this would have happened in November of 2011. And then it was mm-hmm. my birthday of 2012, where, like, the following day, I was back at work, and I just, like, went to check my phone or whatever, and I had all these notifications that I had, you know, like, 200-some-odd new followers or something like that. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. What happened? And it turns out that Kate Leth had reblogged it. And, you know, like, all these people found me through her. Gotcha. And from there, it kind of just started snowballing exponentially. Like, eventually, io9 picked it up and ran mm-hmm. an article about that. Then I went from, you know, maybe like 10,000 followers to like 30,000 or something like that. And then it kind of just got to this point where it was like so many people mm-hmm. that I developed this kind of like loyalty complex to it, where I was like, well, I can't just stop doing it because like all these people are expecting new ones and yeah eventually i kind of just settled in as like i guess i'm the jl8 guy and you know i mean like i'm not gonna lie like i was having a lot of fun with it you know it it wasn't like it was pulling teeth or anything like that and when i started opening up like commission work and stuff and like selling the originals i was i actually started making a decent little amount of money I mean, not, right. not like wealthy money, but enough to be like, oh, like I could come, you know, I could make like a decent, com- you know, as long as I'm not overspending and stuff, I could live off this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess it was like fall of 2012 where I quit my my last day job and mm-hmm. became a full time freelance cartoonist. And yeah, I mean since then it's pretty much just been working on the comic and that's pretty awesome indeed now i know you know you mentioned of course you have on the comics that you said something like based on characters in dc comics have you ever gotten any information or anything from dc concerning jlh no i i haven't no okay not not from anything official i mean i've, I've had fellow creators reach out and like you know give me compliments and stuff. I mean, again, one of the early big deal retweets was Scott Snyder retweeted. Oh like, wow! Number twenty-one or something like that. Um, and you know that led to a big influx of new readers. Um, Neil Gaiman was kind enough to kind of like reblog though, because in his defense, or not in his defense, but like a ton of my readers were sending him those strips. Where, he, mm-hmm. where he's the bookstore clerk, which I, about to say, I, I had he's no idea that people were going to do that. Like, I actually started getting really nervous because I felt bad that maybe it, it he's such a, he's such a celebrity. Mm-hmm. I kind of forgot that he's a person and, and I, you know, I, I, I feel really bad about that. And basically, yeah, like I, I forgot that like, oh, he might not want me doing this. 
So, right. um, you know, I reached out to him and he was actually very complimentary. He was like, oh, no, like, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed them. And I went back and read some of the other ones and I really enjoyed those as well. And then that ended up being really cool because I kind of got to collab with him because when it came the point for his character in the comic to recommend a book, I straight mm-hmm. up asked him, what would you recommend? And he was like, oh, Ghosts by or Anya's Ghost by uh, I feel terrible that I can't remember the cartoonist's name, but that's uh, that's, that's, I, that's, I know, the, yeah. That's the I book that he mm-hmm. recommends in the comic to Clark. So, you know, oh, wow. the only reason that it, it is that book is because I got to ask Neil personally, like, <laughs> what would you recommend? And he was like, oh, that is so cool. No, I, I'm not going to lie. That that was a pretty awesome thing to, to say, even as kind of like goofy as it is, that I got to kind of collab with him on a comic. Was, yeah, was pretty definitely. Okay, so I want to ask you, because I know DC came to you at some point, and someone of DC came to you at some point, you got to do illustrations for one of the kids' books, is that correct? That actually, so that's a little complicated. That wasn't actually anybody from DC, that was a DC writer. Oh, okay. So there's, okay. A, there's a publishing company called Capstone, and they're kind of like Scholastic or, you know, Penguin or whatever, they're their own publishing company, but they hold a DC license. Mm-hmm. And they were working on developing these Superman early readers books. And it was them who contacted me and asked me if I wanted to do that with them. So I actually didn't end up doing, I, I didn't talk to anybody from DC that entire time. Okay. Was, I, I, would be, I was working with an editor from Capstone. And then gotcha. they would get in touch with their point man at DC for like approval and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah I mean I guess DC probably had to sign off on me Mm -hmm. at some point but no it wasn't like DC the email email I got asking if I wanted to do it did not have a DC domain gotcha I see I see it makes sense I remember looking at it from the Wikipedia I think I did my initial research on you through Wikipedia and one of the things I talked about was that oh we got a writing job through DC and I was like I didn't understand the exact context because Wikipedia is not going to understand the direct context. <laughs> right. So, but I just wanted to ask you about that. And so, uh, now, are, now I'm going to ask this question. Have you, or are you able to come up with a print version of the JL8 stuff? I don't know, but I'm not trying to find out. Like, okay. I, I, I think the, the work is transformative enough and all that that it falls under fair use, but I do think it being strictly online kind of helps it be like a non-compete, you know, because most DC comics aren't free to read online, so it's not like I'm eating any of their market share that way. Fair enough, fair but, enough. But I worry that if it were something that you could like put on your shelf that might give them enough to go on to do something about it and maybe convince a judge that they're right that that I am crossing a line with it. Fair enough. It, it's very tricky because like fair use and all that stuff is like really vague. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's very much like a case by case basis kind of a thing. So like 
and probably even like a judge by judge basis like i'm sure that there's some people out there who would be like oh no jla's fine you know like <laughs> no one would ever confuse this with like the main bat titles or, or anything right. like that but you know maybe people would confuse it and people have confused it for an actual dc book like i have personal friends mm-hmm. who thought i was doing it for dc they did not realize that it was a fan thing and generally the reason people think that and and this is a big compliment is not to toot my own horn but because it's so good right like i am i wouldn't put myself in the same spot as like frank quietly or chris machalo but like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm talented enough to be pro um and there are a lot of web comics that don't quite look that good Granted, there are plenty of webcomics that aren't trying to look that good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Sarah's Scribbles loses all of its charm if you try to draw it the way I draw JLA. Um, mm-hmm. But because it looks the way it looks, I think people just assume, oh, surely this isn't just like a fan thing. Right. So, but alas, it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, didn't uh, JLA end up winning some awards? For, for being a webcomic? Yeah, it won some, got nominated for other. Like, the, 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 one, the one I'm most proud of is that it was actually nominated for the Harvey Award in oh, wow. 2014 for Best Webcomic. Um, okay. I did not win. I, I think it went to Battle Pug because Mike Norton is awesome and Battle Pug is awesome. And it's very gotcha. difficult to very difficult to unseat him in that category but yeah getting that nomination like the IGN stuff was cool being on like Pace Magazine lists was cool all that stuff is very cool but the Harveys that that was that's a big deal like like that meant a awful lot to Mm -hmm. me and still does you know you try not to hold on to it too tight just because like you know that was like six years ago now you can't you don't want to be that dude reliving his high school days forever kind of a thing. Um, right, right. But no, that that was definitely the biggest nomination that I received that really made me feel like, okay, I've, I've really got something here and people feel like it's worth acknowledging. And, and that felt really good. And that's pretty awesome in itself. So I, I tell people all the time, look, if I'm ever nominated for anything, I write and illustrate children's books. If I ever get nominated for anything, I'm gonna have a party whether I win it or not because I got nominated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I understand kind of the, the you know kind of look at that not holding on to it because you kind of want to move on to the next thing. You know, you want to kind of see where well, okay, we're gonna continue moving on, moving forward. That's that's a good mindset to have. So this is taking you to some cons and things like that. Because I've seen different pictures at times of you at cons selling prints and different things like that. By the way. You sell prints on your website now. Can you tell the people where they can go to get prints of your your artwork and everything? Yeah, it, it's a pretty easy web address. It's just Yale Stewart, just my name, Y A L E S T E W A R T dot big cartel dot com. Big B I G cartel C A R T E L dot com. It's it's a fairly common web sales platform. I know, like mm-hmm. I I found it through Ali Moss. I think that he okay. uses it, and I know uh, like Dan Hip uses it, Dustin Wynn uses it. So like, 
it wouldn't surprise me if people kind of recognize Big Cartel, because like I said, it's it's fairly commonly used among independent artists and stuff to try and sell their sell their products. Gotcha. And I know you just had a big sale, because uh, and we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes. We're gonna be talking about your created own project that you're working on, and so you were trying to raise some funds for that, and so you were having a big print sale mm-hmm. on your prints and things like that. So. Um, just wanted to kind of put that out there. Uh, before we wrap this segment, I did want to have ask one more quick question now. With the work you've done, I've seen pictures of you at different conventions and things like that, selling the artwork and things like that, like most hardworking artists do. You know, at some point, you got to hit the artist alley at least once. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, if you're going to sell your, your artwork out there in the masses and meet the people face to face. So what is the best con story that you have from your con experiences? Oh, man, that's... That's a good question. I do try to do I do try to do good questions. <laughs> Honestly, it was probably the first con I ever went to, and and even that I was just a, I just went as a fan. It was a it was the Dragon Con of 2010, and okay. Trad and I had just graduated from SCAD, and we were like, oh well, you know, Dragon Con's up in Atlanta. That's like an easy drive. And Trad is from Atlanta, and his parents still live there, so like we could just crash there for free. Right, right. So it, it's a pretty low overhead show, and you know, like there's there there was like a lot of professional talent who was going to be there. So we were like, let's take our portfolios and try to get some reviews, try to you mm-hmm. know show what we've got to some of these guys and see what they have to say and you know what critiques they have for it. Because yeah, I mean we didn't go out there looking for jobs. We just assumed that we'd be getting told, okay, like this is what you need to work on. You need to work on that. You need to work on the other thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that show, I mean, that artist alley, I've done a lot of Dragon Con since. I've done probably all but like two of them since that mm-hmm. year. And that, I'm pretty sure that was like the most stacked artist alley has ever been in my time going there. Mm-hmm. Um, Olivier was there, Olivier Coipel was there, uh, oh, wow. Paolo was there, Eric Powell was there, Tim Sale was there, Mark Bagley was there, Darwin Cook was there, um, a few others who are, David Mack was there, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I ended up getting portfolio reviews from both Olivier Coipel and Darwin Cook, and there you go. the one from Darwin, you know, he, he brought me around to his side of the table and sat me down for like 20 minutes and we just talked shop and he was looking through my stuff and telling me what I was doing right telling me the stuff that I wasn't doing right and it was incredible like wow yeah that was especially now that he has unfortunately passed away that definitely Mm -hmm. ratchets that a few degrees higher in the great memories of cons in my book Mm-hmm. And that, 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 I mean, I, one thing you, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize, especially when you're dealing with art, is, is that no matter how good your art is, there's always room for improvement. There's never a point where you stop learning to do better. Um, you know, they say, people say all the time, you know, well, I know the tricks of the trade. And then somebody will respond with, yeah, but do you know the trade? Mm-hmm. Because you can't implement tricks in something until you know what you're doing. And so you always want to be learning. You always want to be growing, developing. 
and strengthening what you have and, you know, finding the things that are good that you can accentuate and then, you know, work on the stuff that's not as great, you know, so that way you can make it better as well. So we're going to wrap this segment up and then we're going to come back and we want to hear about your creator own project that you're working on. Yeah, sure. So I uh, appreciate you continuing to rock with me. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back in just a moment after these messages. We'll be right back. All right, listen, everybody, do me a quick favor. When you get done listening to this episode of Conversations About Dot, 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 do me a favor, go check out Mythos Podcast, done by the Rasco Brothers themselves. They get into geek stuff with them and their friends, and they talk about a lot of geek things. They talk about anime, Star Wars, you name it. They're going to talk about it. After that, do me a favor and check out the Crafting Cosplayers podcast, where she talks not only Xena, but she talks geek stuff as well. So go check both of those out for me. Those are some awesome podcasts that you need to check out. And thank you so much for continuing to rock with us here at Conversations About Dot, Dot, Dot. And go check those podcasts out as well. Thank you so much. And I'm sure they'll appreciate it as well if you follow them up. Take care. We're back. Mr. Yell Stewart and I have been having a wonderful conversation about the land of art and growing and different things like that, about the JL8 webcomic he's done and all the accolades it's received. Now we're going to talk about the future, what Mr. Stewart's working on now. Uh, from what I understand, you're working on a creator-owned project that you want to talk to the people about. So I want to give you the floor again and let you talk about that. Yeah, sure. So um, basically this idea all came about probably the end of summer 2018 so mm-hmm. it's, it's been gestating for a little while and basically what had happened was that uh my fiance and i really kind of wanted to get back into playing D mm-hmm. independent like she and i had never played together um mm-hmm. but like i used to play back in high school and i think that she had always kind of wanted to play i don't think that she had actually ever played before but anyway basically both of us were kind of looking to get into it again mm-hmm. and D requires a lot of people and we were having a really hard time finding anybody in fact we, we didn't find anybody and mm-hmm. i realized that like this is kind of something that i deal with a lot in my life which is mm-hmm. like i i find something that i'm really interested in doing but it's almost inevitably a multiplayer thing mm-hmm and I can never find anybody else who's interested in doing it with me. Um, right. Or enough other people to do it. Because, you know, like, sometimes it'll be like, oh, me and my buddy, but, like, we need four other people to run a raid in this video mm-hmm. game or whatever. And I was like, you know, there's, there's kind of... I feel like that's a fairly relatable thing. And, like, I wonder if there's, like, a story to kind of be told there. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, especially because it kind of came out of D&D. I was like, well, what if, you know what if you kind of took the idea of Bilbo and and sort of inverted it where instead of him getting dragged off on an adventure by the dwarves and Gandalf he's a guy who really wants to go on this adventure but doesn't have anyone to go with mm-hmm. so he kind of like sets off on his own and is basically kind of on his way through various like adventuring parties or different guilds mm-hmm. of adventurers and stuff because in this world adventuring is kind of like a profession 
as it were. Um, and over time, he'll probably amass his own party. But, mm-hmm. you know, the harsh reality is, like, sometimes not only do you not find people, but when you do find people, you just don't gel with mm-hmm. Like, maybe they just don't have the same play style. On the best end, and on the worst end, they're virulent racists or something, you know, like, just horrible people. Right. Um, and I was like, well, there might be something to kind of explore there. You know, like, having this guy pal up with groups, you know, for maybe, like, one or two issue arcs and you know he goes on the little adventure you know going down into the dungeon and fighting the skeleton monsters or whatever but realizes that like ah you know i don't i don't really want to stick with these guys either because mm-hmm. you know they're murder hobos and D parlance or like i said they're just really awful people right and, and stuff like that and like i said eventually he'll kind of find his his own sort of like found family you know mm-hmm. where either he goes on a mission and he and like another adventurer kind of like the odd people out and they realize they don't like the other three people who came in as a team so like hey mm-hmm. do you want to just go you know find another job together and then right. they become a team and you know like he just, he just kind of like adds and adds to his party over time but yeah I mean it's admittedly a pretty broad concept I mean it's, mm-hmm. you know I I'm not trying to make my own One Piece, but like there is definitely shades of One Piece in it, mm-hmm. the, and very kind of like shonen idea of just kind of wandering around and meeting new characters, and you know I'm sure some characters will leave over time. You know, maybe not every party member sticks around forever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like, you know what, I'm good here. I really like this new city. I've enjoyed our time together, but. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna plant myself here. It's like, oh, okay. Um, okay. But yeah, you know, it's 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 about adventuring. It's about finding friends, and you know, it's also just about choosing to do the right thing. You know, like because it's gonna be revealed. It's not really a reveal, but the the main that's kind of why our main character wants to go become an adventurer is because he basically grew up reading or being told all these fantastic stories about people helping the helpless and great heroic deeds mm-hmm. and that really appeals to him so you know where he comes from adventuring is not really considered a viable career choice you know okay. like wanting to be an artist or a rock star or something it's like gotcha. you're from the riverlands no one here becomes an adventurer just mm-hmm. become a farmer or a tailor or whatever like everybody else and he's like no like i want i want to try and do this and you know like i said he sets off and we follow him on his little adventures somebody hands him a guitar and says you can be a bard like your uncle and he's just like but i don't want to be a bard yeah, <laughs> adventurer. Mm-hmm. you know so it, that sounds like a really cool thing and the thing i love about what i'm hearing so far in it is that there's a parallel to life in there because, you know, you, 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 you feel like there's a destiny to your life, you know, if you don't just wake up and just do kind of the mindless work for your whole entire life, you know, and you wake up one day and it's just like, I want to go do this. I want to I want to chase after this. I don't know if I'll make it. I don't know if I'll get there, but I want to at least try because I don't want to wake up one day and be in my 90s and say, I never tried to do this. Exactly. You know, you, 
it is kind of the idea of like living life without regrets at least in some capacity right mm-hmm. you know because yeah like and that'll probably come into play learning that you know like a lot of the people from where he's from that's kind of what happened to them you know they just never took the initiative and then realize now i'm 60 years old and my life is behind me for the most mm-hmm. part um, right so yeah that, that, that's definitely part of it for sure and you know it, it is also kind of interesting how sometimes you write things subconsciously because mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i know that there are a lot of very talented artists out there mm-hmm. who just assume that an art career is going to come to them because they're very good but unfortunately that's not how the world works you gotta go no. out and find that thing mm-hmm. and yeah like I could have sat there waiting until I got that car to finish working on that project I was working on or I could have said you know what I can't work on that now I need to do something different and that thing different mm-hmm. ended up being JLA and that thing ended up changing my life so yeah. you know you gotta you gotta stay humble but like you do gotta believe in yourself and like yeah put your foot you know put yourself out there because you know as my grandma used to say you know god helps those who help themselves mm-hmm. you know you can make that secular as well that's not necessarily tied to religion but um yeah like you just gotta you gotta get out there and do it you know? mm-hmm. so and I think it's really powerful too that you would take the chance and have an idea and then just start working on it and then you go through the period and and, and two, it, it it didn't come overnight. Like it wasn't something, you know, you talked about the whole idea of with the with JL eight, for example. You know, you talked about okay, I had ten fans, but I still wanted to make sure I put this out there to make sure I didn't disappoint those ten fans. And that's vital too. Because you don't sit there and go, oh, well, I don't want to, I, you know what, I'll put in more work when I get 150, 200 fans. You know, no, you put in the work at the beginning. Right. Because you build the habit, you know, to, to, to go in there knowing that you're going to wake up and you're going to commit a certain amount of time to this every day so you can make sure that by Friday or whenever you drop the latest episode that you can uh, have that ready to go. You know, you know, you got to know what you're able to do and then you work around that. So... Uh, again, I want to say thank you so much for being willing to come on here with me. Now, I want you to let the people know where they can find you, where they can find JL8, where they can find out information about their creator-owned project you're working on and all that stuff. So, Yeah, I mean, you know, you can find me on most of the social media channels just by my name, Instagram, at Yale Stewart, Twitter, at Yale Stewart, um, Patreon.com slash Yale Stewart. That's where most of the creator-owned stuff is going to get posted for the time being while I okay. work on developing my own personal website for that. And also, I think JLE will be moved over there as well. And then JLE, okay. you can find most prominently on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash JL8comic, LOL. And mm-hmm. then jl it still posts up there also mm-hmm. um yeah I, I guess that's all the big ones I, I mean i'm sure there's some stuff floating around out there that i've forgotten about over the okay. past 10 years but 
those are the ones that I always stay up to date on. So, you know, if you're going to follow somebody, you want to be where they're actively engaging with it. So those mm-hmm. are all the ones that I'm pretty regularly on responding to messages, responding to comments, posting new stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now, I do have one other question before we wrap this whole thing up. I saw one of the prints and I just got to ask. Uh, I saw a print. It was, I believe it was Blue Beetle and uh, Booster Gold. And so Booster Gold's running and he's like, cheese it, Ted. Right. And I'm not quite for sure what the reference is to that. Reference is there. I was just curious oh, that, what the reference that, that, That's Futurama. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, from the, uh, the Marvel <laughs> University episode ah. where Bender and all them are kind of doing like a parody of Animal House mm-hmm. while uh, Fry and Leela and them are off doing kind of their own thing. But everything. And if I, I actually, I can't remember if Belush used to say that in Animal House. Okay. Um, he might. Have. It, it's been probably almost ten years since I last watched Animal House, but yeah, Bender says that whenever you know their hijinks go awry, you know, like they're trying to <laughs> steal stuff from the school or whatever, and they get caught and cheese it, and everybody scatters, kind of a thing. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, that, okay, that, that's, yeah. Where, that's where that comes from. I wasn't sure if that was like something related to like JLA or National or something like that or anything like that. Cause I know they've they've kind of piled them up multiple times over the course of the years. So I didn't know if that was something that was specific to them or somewhere else. No, All right. I, well, I, I don't. I don't believe so. I yeah. I I actually have never had. I wouldn't say much interest, but I I, I don't have a lot of history with those two characters. Yeah. Um, but I had a lot of people fans of the strip that were just dying for them to show up there you go okay like i'll you know apparently they're generally played as kind of like a comedy team Mm -hmm. so i was like oh like i'll just have them be kids from like another class who are just around the school and kind of you know get into trouble okay mikey uh booster gold trying to like insert himself into the main class you know like he kind of wants to be part of the group Gotcha. He's kind of a goofhead about it. The way that he is mm-hmm. in the comics, you know, he's always mm-hmm. trying to be like a hotshot superhero or whatever. So, yeah, yeah the first appearance, they uh, they shoot spitballs at Wonder Woman and Power Girl. Oh no! They get caught, and there's a there's a, just like a beat where you just see them kind of looking, and then Booster Gold is like, "Cheese it, Ted!" And they 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 scurry off. <laughs> <laughs> Deep and deeper into the cafeteria to avoid Diana and Karen's wrath. There we go. Yep, because those are two ladies you definitely wouldn't want to upset, even when they're eight years old. Mm-mm. All right. Well, Mr. Stewart, again, I thank you so much for being willing to come on here with me. I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk with you uh, and you sharing with us uh, your world and kind of uh, how uh, you took uh, you took lemons and made some really good lemonade out of it artistically. Yeah, so I, I want to say thank, thank you, you so for, for having me on. It was a good time. I always enjoy talking comics and stuff. So not a problem at all. On cool deal. Well, listen, uh, Yale. Thank you uh, for all, all the people listening. Please uh, go check out Yale stuff. It's awesome. It's incredible. If you've never seen it before, you're in for a really good treat. Uh, that's my personal recommendation. So you, you, if you trust me up to this point, you can continue to trust me. It's all good from here. So. Thank you guys so much for coming in on the podcast and listening to this episode. And by the way, as always, do me a favor. Be blessed to be blessed. Be a blessing to somebody, guys. Take care.